0: Okay, hello, everyone, and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is...
1: I'm Candace Lapage.
0: Yeah, and uh, we were just talking before recording just about, uh, you know, going to the park and uh, experiencing the uh, in-person in person power of the howitzer and uh you know it's uh what it's like to be in, in range when a howitzer is getting shut off just like just like in a movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yes it is it's it's rather loud mhm and very smoky that's for me it's more the smoke that that gets me the loudness like i expect it's no big deal but it's just like gosh yeah
0: and i the... got some i got some good pictures of like how smoky it is after the the discharge it's uh it's mm-hmm. it's really something
1: yeah, and the smoke doesn't really dissipate, like it doesn't rise, it yeah. just kind of stays low to the ground, so even once it like clears because the the wind has moved it, all it's done is pushed it down further, so, you know, people could be quite far <laughs> away and just be like, "What? what is this smoke?
0: Yeah, it was very carpenter in the park, which, <laughs> uh, you know, high noon on a Saturday, a sunny Saturday it was, it was interesting, but uh, we're here to talk about... Kingly Matters. Um, Anyway. Hmm. Where where was I? End credits (laughs) is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3pm to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new coming-of-age period dramedy Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which I understand is based on a book of some kind. But uh, you can also go see the movie, which is in a theater near you right now. But to kick off the show, uh, we're going to you may have heard about this writer strike that's going on um the wd uh the wga the writers guild of america is presently on strike and what that means is and you may have seen the effects uh the immediate effects which is stuff that kind of you write in the day and then goes to air at night so like late night tv talk shows or something like the view which is still on the air. They're going to air without writers, which I'm not sure is the best idea in the world, but (laughs) um, Saturday Night Live 2. Sorry, go ahead.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, now maybe people will understand that so many of those shows do have writers and they'll go, oh, the show quality really suffers without the writers.
0: I would submit it's hard to judge the quality of the view on any given day, uh, but uh, (laughs) that may be personal taste. Um, But yeah, so... You haven't seen your late-night talk shows lately. It's because the writers are on strike. Uh, they canceled the last three episodes of Saturday Night Live for the season. Um, so that's another consequence. You may have heard about some TV shows uh, either shutting down a production or pausing production. Because writers... So it it is online. Um, if you follow you know writers on Twitter or sort of see those posts accidentally, it's really quite a, a lesson in terms of how the how the business works and, and the, the functions that writers perform but uh to understand sort of the issues we thought we'd talk about all the the various um things going on and what the writers are fighting for so take it away candace no i'm just kidding but uh <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it, it does essentially come down to a couple things number one is uh This is especially in the realm of TV, but there isn't just the work for writers anymore. Whereas, once upon a time, uh, a TV... A season of a a TV show would be 22, 23 episodes, which means you basically have 10 or 11 months of employment. Um, But now, uh, you also have uh, shorter TV seasons, so you have 6 episodes, 8 episodes, 10 episodes... Um, there's something called like mini writers rooms, which I actually wasn't aware of, but it's essentially like to get a writer's room together of four or five writers to develop the show. So you're working, and you don't even have a guarantee that there's going to be a show to work on after producing your first episode. And then, of course, the big one, which is a lot of a lot of people are worried about, is uh, artificial intelligence and AI. And uh, I think that's the one. People, I, I think that's the one people can sort of all uh, sort of galvanize to because there are so many industries outside of being a Hollywood screenwriter where AI is uh, causing some people to sweat.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um,
1: yeah. This, this thing about the AI um, I think is interesting for a number of reasons. So mm. I've been, I've been thinking about this just sort of since the chat GPT uh, version three came out and everybody started going crazy. And, you know, every single podcast I had didn't experiment where they're like, we're going to, you know, ask chat GPT to write our, our intro or write whatever, or like, you know, have a, have a conversation interview with this person. Um, And so a lot of like, it's been in the conversation a lot. And Mm. of course, you know, we keep hearing every day we hear about some new person who is like a language model learner or programmer or something who is working on building AI who is deciding to step back saying hey we need to like slow down on this Mm -hmm. and I think it's interesting because I think the problem with AI is that nobody really knows why we're doing it and so (laughs) AI so AI is sort of supposed to mean, most people understand it to mean artificial intelligence,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which would describe like a, uh, you know, artificial thing that thinks for itself. And, and, you know, we sort of describe thinking for itself as meaning like out, outside of its programming, it creates its own thoughts that aren't because, yeah, it's not because a user asks them for something. Yeah. Um, and so with that I do kind of keep wondering I'm like I don't understand what purpose we have for building artificial intelligence but I think right now we don't have AI what we have is automated intelligence Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think we just need a different word for because chat GPT is not artificial intelligence it's not it's an automation tool and so I think that there are there is value in automating some more rote things that we do
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so that the reality is that we're supposed to automate, you know, we've been talking about automation in um, manufacturing for years and it was a really, you know, big problem and it is still sort of a problem in, in like manufacturing, but at the same time it's like, well, no, we shouldn't have to labor so hard.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like, you know, ideally, to get better as a species, we labor less and we create more, we love more, we enjoy more. Um, So even when we start to get into these sort of more creative jobs, Mm
2: -hmm. I think
1: there could be some value in automating some of the, some of the processes. But the Mm -hmm. whole point to me of, of automation isn't to replace people. It's supposed to like free up time and space to be more creative. So I find it interesting that the Writers Guild wants to use automated tools, Mm -hmm. but because right now our automated tools are also acting (laughs) as chat GPT in just like creating art. And, you know, same thing with like AI artwork and stuff like that. Like they're not automating the, the rote parts of a job anymore. They're doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. it's like okay, we've actually lost we've we've lost why we were creating these tools to take away the the boring parts that you have to do every single time like setting up your page like all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff
2: mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's going to be really difficult for them to figure out how to work this into a new contract. The other problem being that, the Writers Guild has actually always been kind of at the forefront of new technology because the last time they sh- they they strike stri- struck stroked, striked. <laughs> striked? I don't yeah, know. strike yeah strike <laughs> yeah <laughs> the last time they went on strike, um, they started demanding things about streaming video
2: right. in
1: there and and like there was no really streaming video at that point in time, no. so they've always sort of been at at the forefront. But I think similar to what happened with they did get a deal with streaming which served them pretty well for a while but is now so behind what the what we're doing in streaming video Mm -hmm. the same thing might happen with them trying to allow using automated tools Mm
2: -hmm. if they
1: let them in they're probably going to end up still getting screwed by it in the end Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the networks are all about money
0: mm-hmm yeah they're definitely all about money the 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 way that the you're right about the last strike that it, it was oddly prescient that they were they were striking essentially for things like streaming which didn't exist yet but of course like five years later it was all about streaming that's when netflix launched house of cards and um it, it seemed oddly it seemed oddly ahead of the time at the time, but you're right. It, it's gone even further than that because, um, something like house of cards, which was on Netflix, like ne- Netflix's first big show was, um, still very traditional in terms of the way it was modeled. It was 13 episode season. Um, that wasn't unusual because th- things like the Sopranos did like 13 episode seasons or, or, you know, uh, other HBO or, or prestige network series, um, did 13 episode seasons. It's, it's, it's gone even further than that, though, because now it's it's not just about the season length, too. Something like Hawkeye, um, just to pull a name out of my hat, like one of these Marvel or Star Wars shows, like Obi Wan Kenobi, um, come out and they have a season, and that's their point. Something like Angeline, which was always intended to be a mini series. You you do have all these opportunities. There's something like six hundred scripted series on all the various networks and streaming sites so it theoretically there is more work um but it is work that doesn't allow people to enjoy sort of like a full-time position it, it's 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 the interestingly the 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 writer's gig which to an extent has always been part of the gig economy because you go from project to project to project But now it's even more like that. TB is where you would get some, you used to get some monogram of stability because you could start out as a story editor on MacGyver and then be it. And then by the time MacGyver gets to season seven, you're like a co executive producer. Um, And you have that job security for however long MacGyver went for seven or eight years. Um, But now that doesn't exist. You go and work on Obi Wan Kenobi and then you're out of a job again. And then you go work on, I don't know, uh miss marvel is there going to be a second season of miss marvel who knows um, you go and work on you know maybe you do another show on a freelance basis to hire you to write one script meanwhile you're pitching stuff um and and not everything pit- that you pitch gets made and not everything that not every pitch that gets picked up gets turned into a script or a series um maybe you get a pilot maybe you don't so i mean there's so much um there's so much tumult and, and so much turnover uh, and everything. It's it's hard for um, it's hard for for writers to keep up anymore, and uh, that is, you know, quite the the shame of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be, <clears throat> and there were definitely problems with mm-hmm. the studio model back in the day. But sure. it used to be that you know people would work for the studio and and they were contracted to the studio you know this worked with with actors and with directors and you know with writers and they would sort of continue to be employed kind of in between things while mm. they were you know working on new things or waiting and there are still certain roles like that typically sort of at the executive producer level where people are trying to you know, come up with ideas for new content. But it just doesn't trickle down to every everybody else on that. Mm. And, you know, writers have really, as you say, yeah, been part of the, the gig economy
2: <laughs> for, for
1: quite a long time now. Um, and, I mean, when you think about, like, the writers there as part of the gig economy, think about all the people down the line, you know, who aren't the star of the show, so the costumers the set directors the the set builders all of those people are also essentially just gig workers the same the same thing cuz they just sort of go from from show to show so the writers uh, it feels like the writers always tend to be kind of the first ones to to negotiate and get to the strike point right <laughs> to then help everybody sort of down the line but yet they still end up I, I feel like they're probably still the sort of least um least paid, least rewarded in the industry. Um, oh yeah. And I think part of that is because people are hungry and everybody thinks that they can write. <laughs> <laughs> like most people know that they can't sew a costume or, you know, build a a, a wall for a <laughs> for a show.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: But everybody thinks that they can write and everybody thinks that they have great ideas. Mm -hmm. And so there's always someone waiting for your job around the corner
2: Mm -hmm. when you're
1: a writer, Um, which sort of sucks. But also, like, is kind of beautiful that, like, yeah, there's, you know, like, any of us could try this job. (laughs) 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 Like, What I I think, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, speaking as a writer, uh, I'm not 100% sure I can write. Uh, and there are certainly days <laughs> I prove the point, but
1: yeah, it's. I I, I think that's probably a universal feeling yeah. amongst writers. Yeah, and most people.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, there is some serious imposter syndrome. But to, to get to your other point, there's always somebody like right behind you, uh, Jeff Snyder, who who does the above the line website. Uh, he's kind of like an industry insider. He he posted an article that said, you know, studios. Less than a week into the strike, less than a, like a full week into the strike, like a couple of days into the strike, they're already looking at what public domain things can we get that we can then feed into an AI machine and then spit out a script. Um, and then once the writer's strike is over, we'll get writers who, who you know, can look over that bare bones outline and, and do the usual punch-ups that writers sometimes do because th- for people who don't know, um, a writer is brought in to write a script like let's say in Iron Man. Iron Man's actually a pretty good example of this because it went through so many iterations and then they get a, a script with a story that they like and then they bring in other writers to massage it and make it ready to film. So essentially they're doing that except instead of having a human writer write the first draft, they're going to have AI do it. And there are a lot of writers who are saying, like, well, don't look at me. I'm not going to – you're not going to hire me to rewrite a computer, uh, an AI script because, you know, that's taking a a job out of a writer's mouth. You're going to find somebody who's going to want to rewrite those scripts because they want to get a paycheck. And um, I I think that's part of – I mean, that's part of a long – I mean, that's where scab labor comes from, right? It's, it's, you know, you're always going to find people who will do the work uh, without – because people are desperate and they want to get their foot in the door and they want to accept opportunities when they're given and don't really care much about the politics of union uh, organizing or, or general labor issues. People are hungry. They want to get a paycheck.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's really too bad too, because as everybody knows, I watch a lot of Hallmark movies and of course there's sort of a joke, right? That like, Mm -hmm. especially in Hallmark and, and horror people are like, you know, they're so formulaic. You could just have, a computer write it but but they're not written by computers they are mm-hmm. really written by people because mm. e- like it's still there's still value in that same thing with like romance novels too right there are lots mm. of people and pulp novels are people who are able to make a living writing you know basic formulaic trash And I use the term trash lovingly because I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Uh, You know, and maybe they can take all of that to work on their, like, their baby, their pet project. Like, this is, you know, this is the job that pays the bills so that I can work on the thing that that I'm really passionate about. Right. Like, you know, yeah. I I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm so supportive of, of the writer's guilt going on strike. And I, I, I really feel for them, but I also just, I just worry. I mean, I just, I don't know our entire economy. I just kind of want it all to collapse so that we can rebuild it and take all the capitalism out of it. Cause the reality is, so um, people have done, done the work to, to do the math. And um, if they were to, if, the the studios were to to capitulate to everything that the writers want i think the total amount of money it would cost them for Mm -hmm. all of the writers is 429 million Mm dollars that is like the profit on one bad marvel movie (laughs) not even one of the good ones just one of the bad ones
0: yeah well somebody somebody posted um i it was a collider article um, that the the various entertainment company stocks lost $10 billion in value the first day of the strike. So, I mean, to put that into context, you know, they lost $10 billion in value, which, I mean, is this nebulous thing that is go- always going up and down, but they lost $10 billion in value the first day over, what you said, $429 million.
1: Yeah, because they're bullies. <laughs> yeah. They're willing to do it because they know they have enough to do it to just keep, like... Bleeding people dry. Mm. I do worry about this strike, however, because when we go back and and talk about the strike that happened in two thousand and
2: seven,
1: mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, immediately as soon as as soon as it happened, I saw many people tweeting and posting about, oh, does this mean we're going to get a new Doctor Horrible? Because mm. so famously, what happened in in two thousand seven two thousand and eight is that a number of people like there are lots of writers and some of these writers like they just keep working sort mm-hmm. of on mm-hmm. their own doing stuff coming up with ideas um but uh joss whedon during the writer strike couldn't work and so wrote dr horrible's sing-along blog mm-hmm. and also talked like thought about like how can i do this without the networks like how do i how do i make something that's you know outside of this sort of system <clears throat> and I'm not going to say that uh, this the the strike sort of created the web series because mm-hmm. there were certainly web series before that like Channel 101 was already before that red versus blue mm-hmm. all sorts of things <clears throat> but it really I think like put fire behind the web series world when mm-hmm. the strike happened, because you started getting sort of bigger names like Joss Whedon and certainly other people started doing their own short form serialized content that they could release on their own platforms and or on YouTube, which was still very new at the at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> but they were able to sort of have a little more creative control and do things a little bit differently, test things out. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's a good thing. Like I spent five or six years hosting a podcast all about the web series world and the independent online content world. And -hmm. it's great. And I love it. And I'm kind of sorry that it doesn't really exist anymore because it was so popular that streaming sites like Netflix said, Mm -hmm. oh, people would be willing to watch something that didn't even air on TV at all. And so Mm -hmm. they put out their very first like... Online only series in 2012, which was Lillahammer, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and it sort of it just opened up the floodgates for all of these shows. Because even up until then, these web series would come out, but then they would get picked up by television, right? Mm-hmm. Like Sanctuary was so popular online that they picked it up and gave it a TV season. That's right. But then Netflix was like, "Oh, we could actually create our own," and. So what sort of happened was all of the, the, the work the writers were doing to kind of bring it back to the basics and bring it back to themselves ended up kind of biting them in the butt
2: mm-hmm. because
1: then all of these people were like, oh, okay, we can actually do this. Not only that, the audience also started to realize when, you know, their regular... Soap operas and late night (laughs) talk show hosts and you know Saturday Night Live and these things, when they stopped being available on Mm -hmm. TV and everything was just reruns, they started going. Well, what else is out there? And so a lot of people, you know, found the internet as like, oh, I can watch things here, Mm -hmm. and so it created, it created both. An audience for it that probably didn't exist and wouldn't have existed for a long time, if there hadn't been this sort of dearth of things on on TV. Right, and it just sort of and so I I, I come back to this whole AI thing and I kind of mm. worry. I'm like, Ugh, are we going to accidentally, <laughs> you know, cause the problem that's going to be the next strike?
0: Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it, it's a real thing. H- however, you know, when I read that Schneider article, you know, they're going to take um, public domain IP and uh, feed it to the AI, AI bots to come up with something. I'm like, yeah, well, we're kind of a- aren't we kind of already doing that without the AI? I mean, we have two Dracula movies this year. That yes, are- <laughs> the
1: entire Universal Monster series is <laughs> coming back.
0: There's a movie coming out this summer that is based on one chapter in Dracula. And uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm looking forward to it, but I mean, we're, we're we're kind of already there. And the the other thing too, is all these streaming companies and there was a report that Netflix was kind of the holdout on the new deal of the WGA, which is interesting. Um, But all these streaming companies and all the networks too, and all the cable channels have like different economics, something like Apple, and Amazon can still play in this field of well we'll just throw 300 million dollars at this silly spy show from the guy who made Avengers Endgame um you know because it you know at Amazon paying for a streaming series is a rounding error which is why they can commit to 200 300 400 half a billion dollars to make a Lord of the Rings TV show because <laughs> streaming isn't Amazon's primary business sending people stuff is um same with apple streaming isn't apple can spend 300 million dollars on a martin scorsese movie about uh a a controversy involving indigenous people in the 1920s uh and then release it in theaters (laughs) because apple doesn't make its money from streaming they make it from devices um that's different for netflix who is business is entirely streaming it's different from Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, who have a toehold in streaming with a lot of their Discovery channel shows, but also have uh, a major studio and cable channels, and they do have some like cable satellite coverage. It's, and then on top of this, too, and I think this is key. So much of what's happening in streaming in terms of like the economics, in terms of the numbers, um, they don't release those. Like Netflix uh, yeah. will put Netflix will put out a post that says this was the most watched thing for the first three days that we've ever released, but you know they don't, they certainly don't tell you about the failures, and they certainly don't give you like hard numbers for like middle of the road stuff. They haven't released any numbers for for like, like the, the most recent show that people are talking about, the Diplomat. A lot of people are online are talking about the, the, how much I love the Diplomat and Kerry Russell, but I don't know how many people have watched it or are watching it. Um, it's, yeah. It, 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 like you used to be able to like open up the trades and see like the box office numbers. And that gives you an idea of how big a thing is and how many people are seeing it. But when something like Red Notice appears on Netflix and Netflix says, oh, this is one of our most popular things, it's like, okay, how many people watch it? <laughs> uh, we're not going to tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah well and because with them the algorithm is not like how many people watch this how many people like you watched yeah. it yeah but yeah i mean it's similar to the the streaming music model right like
2: mm-hmm.
1: um currently i think writers are still getting a better deal on the uh streaming residuals than than any musician is getting on any sort of streaming uh, Most music definitely. Most but,
2: definitely.
1: but yeah there's certainly there's no accountability because as at at this point, the streamers can just say whatever they want for the number that is how much was streamed. Because they're not held accountable by any sort of outside body for the numbers. So, you know, when Netflix says it's the most, you know, the highest streaming, it's like, yeah, but like, how many is that? And <laughs> are those full watches? Or did someone right. start it and turn it off? Like, there's zero, zero accountability for that. So writers have no idea even how much money they're missing out on. Right. If they if they had better residuals. I think right now they're getting it's like 2% of residual play, but but also like how is that worked out similar to to music, right? It's like just because I'm watching this series doesn't mean my money is going into the pool for that series. Right. And then they're getting 2% of my money because I keep watching that show. Right. They get 2% of everybody's money based on how many things, you know, how many watches there were. Probably, if, you know, a show doesn't reach a certain threshold of watches, it's like, it's not even worth cutting a check for this amount of money. Like, yeah, you know, it just it just goes, the money just goes somewhere else. Right. So, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely need, and, you know, I, I I feel the same way with music, too. And I am a streamer. Like, I appreciate online streaming music and online streaming television and movies. It is the future. It has been the future for a really long time. Mm-hmm. I think the studios, whether they be music or, or um, TV, have, <laughs> like, they should have gotten on board a long time ago, and we probably could have had better deals at this point if they had actually worked with them rather than <clears throat> try to try to stop it yeah. but we absolutely have to have independent third party auditors mm-hmm. much like you know we do with with all publicly held companies
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know people need to be able to see the numbers that these streaming companies are are doing for viewing and for listening and actually like they can't be magic math that's done behind the curtain.
0: Yeah. And and music's been like sort of cataclysmically behind in terms of the tech changes, like going right back to Napster, which they should have spent time buying and monetizing instead of fighting. But, um, that's, that's a, a different story. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention is um, there's a lot of kind of anti-union activity. Um, And you see this kind of online with like people throwing hissy fits because their favorite show. Like there was a a thing the other day, like Stranger Things season five, the start of that has been delayed because of the writer's strike. Um, There was a big uh, story about how uh, the new version of Blade starring Mahershala Lee is delayed because of the writer's strike. And uh, a couple of people pointed out that, you know, it seems like money people in the business are trying to gin up uh, fanboy outrage. <laughs> um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like the person who said that this is a, a, a moral, like this strike is right? a, a moral <laughs> problem and you yeah. guys are keeping this, like life is hard and you're keeping our one form of like therapy away from us. It's like, yeah. right, so you so obviously it's very important right? Yeah, that's yeah. what you're saying, is it's very right. important. Right. So let's actually treat yeah. them like they're very important.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great place to leave it on. And I don't know who these people are who are caught up on all the TV shows and movies that they want to watch, because I have like six lists going.
1: Oh my and- god, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I don't know, like, I, I think if you're able to stay on top of your entertainment needs, you're you're probably going to be about as well attenuated Psycho- yeah. psychologically without outside help that you're going to be but
1: listen the day i finally actually <coughs> sit down and watch sopranos and the wire <laughs> then you will know okay you know what there's a problem there's no more content online cuz i have had those on my list for decades almost
0: that's that's <laughs> yeah that's completely fair uh i'm not even caught up in all the star trek shows and i, I i've been a big trek head for decades and um I I did I did finish Card Season 3 to completion. Uh I finished the first season of of New Worlds. I have not gone back to Discovery. I've not checked out Lower mm-hmm. Decks. So, uh plus I, I I it is on top of mind to do a DS9 rewatch sometime. So, you know. God yeah, that's plus. the
1: problem. There's so much good stuff to go back and watch. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: For so which God. writers should get paid residuals?
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh we'll have to leave that there. Um, but we will, well, depending on how the predictions rank out, some people are saying it's going to go till Christmas or uh, maybe even until next year. We'll have to see how it goes. Um, but in the meantime, we have Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. And we're going to review that coming up next. We're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus, and Community
2: Radio. Excuse
1: me, uh, we're looking for a bra for my daughter. Hmm. Well, we don't have many that small. But come with me, dear. I'll measure you. Arms up, dear. Hmm. Barely a 28. Not even a double A. Your best bet is going to be to go with one of these okay. grow bras here. So one day when you do grow, it'll grow with you. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure Thanks. We'll just go try it on. Um.
2: Mm. Oh. Yeah. Can I just? I'll just. Yep. Here we go. Oh, this is always the tough bit. I can't even do this to this day. Okay. All right. Can I see? How's that feel? I cannot wait to take it off. Yeah. Welcome to Womanhood.
0: Okay, and that was a clip from Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret. It's the new film from Kelly Freeman Craig, and it stars Rachel McAdams, Abby Ryder Forston, L. Graham, Echo Callum, Benny Safty, and Kathy Bates. And uh, based on the very famous book by Judy Bloom, read by young people of all ages for 52 almost 53 years
1: oh sigh
0: (laughs) i know it's uh i mean a couple of (laughs) couple of things that struck me is just how old that how long that book's been around uh the other one is rachel mcadams is old enough to play the mother of teenagers now um (laughs) it's
1: (laughs) yep sorry to tell you
0: I mean, she's her birthday's about a month after mine. So it's like we're in. It's, it's, I, I think I understand where I'm coming from on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a, it, a lot of weird feelings coming from this movie that have <laughs> nothing to do with the content. But speaking of the content, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, your initial thoughts on Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret.
1: Sure. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know how. Um... How intelligent i'm gonna sound for the rest of the show because i was just so charmed by this movie that i think Mm -hmm. that i'm probably just gonna end up sounding like uh chris farley on snl with the like remember that part where they went to the the party in the basement that had so much wood paneling yeah that was so good that (laughs) was really good
0: (laughs) that was that was a nice looking basement
1: i know right everything this movie was just it was so perfect. The the costuming was incredible. The set design was incredible. The soundtrack was amazing. The acting by um what's her name? Abby Abby, Abby
0: Ryder I
1: Yes, thank you. Uh wow. Like so good. Um Rachel McAdams, as you said, was was great. Uh oh my god, Kathy Bates. <laughs> the only thing that keeps her from being like 100% perfect is there wasn't enough Kathy Bates in this movie, I think is probably Mm. the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I was just, I was so glad Uh, I had heard good things about this film. Um, I am a woman. I grew Mm. up in the eighties. I read this book when I was probably about 10 or so. And um, I'm pretty sure that most of, of my understanding of puberty, my expectations of puberty, and probably much of my remembrance of puberty is really just from Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Uh, I certainly learned more about it um, from this book than from, like, health class stuff.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But also, like, liking boys and friendships and how they can be, I don't want to say toxic, but, Mm. you know, this is another movie where I think, like, they just got the girlhood so well Mm -hmm. and that like the insecurities that end up coming out as meanness or cattiness, jealousness, jealousy. I'm just like, it's, it's just so, it was so well done. I, I did worry when I sat down in the theater, I was like, Oh, I am worried that I am going to cringe so hard watching this movie because it's all going to feel so yeah and it didn't Mm. it was just really lovely the whole time as opposed to when i watch never have i ever where every time she makes a terrible mistake i'm just like oh my god i feel that shame deep in my body because i remember it (laughs) (laughs) that is not the experience of this movie it was just like oh i just want to hug her and my childhood self when i went through that also it was just just a really loving film, and and I don't know what else I have to say about it. It's just going to be me gushing, I think.
0: Uh yeah, it's it is charming. Charming is the perfect word. It it is. Um, it it feels so easy in in, in the watching of it. Um, although I know it's it's not easy. Um, there, it is kind of surprising. I don't think I ever read the book. Um, and I have a feeling like it was one of those things like, oh, it's a girl's book, which, Mm -hmm. um, used to be kind of more of a thing. Um, but there is something very universal about it, even though it is very rooted in the young woman's perspective. Uh, I think young men can identify the, with, with the, um, the awkwardness and the expectation and the ideas about wanting to grow up, but at the same time not wanting to grow up. There's there's a really great scene that just shows the duality of it. Uh, Very early on, where where Margaret meets Nancy, um, and Nancy brings her over to her house, and they're going to run through the sprinklers, and and Margaret's changing into a, a bathing suit, and Nancy's talking about developing breasts and how she practices kissing with her bedpost and then she demonstrates <laughs> and then they go out and run in the sprinkler which is yeah. like these you know it's this kind of it's the precipice
1: of right like, it's puberty it's
0: like, yeah the reliquary of this this childhood activity of running through the sprinkler on a hot day meets this like well we have to practice kissing because you don't want to be bad at it when <laughs> the time comes <laughs> Um, and it's, yeah, it's so very charming. And it, I mean, the tightrope, it has to walk too, um, especially with a lot of the, the groomer talk and the, the you know, like we're sexualizing our kids and all this stuff that's happening. It, it, I mean, it happens here in Canada, but a lot of it's coming from the United States too. Um, I mean, that's, that's all hard to take, um, here in real life, but you could also see someone coming at this material with a lot of that same stuff and it it, i I was amazed how easily or how easy she made it look kelly freeman craig in terms of like balancing this creating this bouncy act of looking at this period where you become more aware of your body and your sexuality um and liking boys and sometimes liking the wrong boy um, it, there's a really great scene <laughs> where they have their boy books and the other three girls have the same you know <laughs> boy and, and, and Margaret has uh, this kid Moose who mows uh, her lawn um, who's this you know pimply, curly-headed gangly kid and you understand why she likes him but in, in the context of the pure situation this other kid whose name I can't remember is it Kyle?
1: uh uh, I'm trying to look it up, Philip.
0: Philip, yeah, Le- Philip Leroy, right.
1: something something. Philip Leroy.
0: Leroy. That's yeah. I think that's right. Which is such a romance novel name too.
1: Oh um, my god! And the kid uh, they got to play him yeah. was just like every time he was on screen, I was like, oh yeah, this kid. I know <laughs> this, this kid. kid.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of great, and it. Uh, you know, all of that strikes very well, very sincerely, and it that doesn't feel saccharine. It feels very honest, and you know, I I enjoyed it a lot. Um And I I think somebody somewhere probably said, "Well, forty five year old men are not the target audience for this film." Maybe not, but um, I, I I think I think its charm comes very very easily, and you do kind of get swept up in it. I do have some reservations mm-hmm. about how how Craig kind of tries to put a bow on it in the end. But, you know, for the most part, uh, this is just a good time. And, uh, the actors are very, very good.
1: And I think too, that people don't realize Mm. the, um, sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it a subplot, but like (laughs) the, the, the alternating plot. So not only is, is, you know, Margaret growing up and sort of reaching puberty and like, understanding more about boys and about herself, part of understanding more about herself, she's also going through sort of a religious um, Mm -hmm. search, which Mm -hmm. of course actually really ties into the time as well, because right around that time, you know, she's sort of 11 going on 12. That's exactly about the the same age that um, both Christianity and Judaism have major sort of, um, I'll use the word confirmation, even though it only it's a it's a bar mitzvah, a or a mitzvah yeah. but it, yeah. a confirmation of the religion that they're in. So that's exactly the age that that children are also meant to consciously sort of reaffirm their faith in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of this this story is about that as well, because Margaret is is n- nothing because her mom is Christian and her her father is Jewish, and this was all in the book as well. And I think. Even though the title is Are You There God, It's Me, Margaret? So it it clearly the religiosity is right there in the title. I think people only think of it for the sort of physical and emotional acts of mm-hmm. puberty. But the that sort of search for belonging and understanding and um you know faith, community looking for a higher power mm-hmm. is all is pretty universal. So that is probably a story for a 45 year old guy Mm -hmm. you know that that's also like you can (laughs) not you know not worry about all the other stuff but still find (laughs) sort of interest in that Mm
2: -hmm. as
1: well to the film they really sort of fleshed out a lot more of the um adult characters also to sort of give you know a little more a little more to to everybody Right. Mm-hmm. To really make this more of a family movie, something everybody can watch together and find something in.
0: Mm mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people at the screening I went to on Saturday afternoon. Um, I was kind of surprised how how pa- I mean, it was one of the smaller theaters at Pergola, but it, there mm-hmm. were a lot of people there. It was a pretty packed house. Um, yeah, I
1: went on a Thursday night mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a packed house, but like Thursday night is not really a movie night. And right. there were there were at least, you know, 15 to 20 people, mm-hmm. almost all women, unsurprisingly.
0: Yeah, there were a lot of women uh, at my screening, too. But there were, you know, couples and uh, there were, you know, parents there with kids of, of, of various genders. So um, there, there is that definite kind of feeling of, of family viewing. Um, or, or something that speaks to all families. And yeah, it's... The, the religious stuff, um, I almost feel, is the weakest part of the film. But um, I'm kind of okay with... I mean, at I, once, I'm kind of okay with there not being like any firm resolution to anything, because that's how life is. This is a year in the, this girl's life. And obviously, she's not going to figure it out in... 10 months between the <laughs> the day she comes home from mm-hmm. summer camp and the day she leaves for summer camp the next year. That's not how life yeah. works.
1: Well, yeah. and especially when you're, when she's being introduced to religion, like I right. actually really identified with this book around those topics because I was very similar in my parents raised me sort of without religion. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents are Roman Catholic because I am French Canadian. So mm-hmm. we we come in one flavor and that's Roman Catholic. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, um, uh, you know, I I was baptized, just you know, to keep the whole family happy, but um, absolutely no church, no no nothing beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, starting from a fairly young age, I'd say probably about seven, I started. You know, sort of trying to discover more about religion and my parents were very welcoming to that. You know, I would ask some questions, they would answer some stuff and then point me in a direction to go find more, Mm -hmm. um, including, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses who came to the door, I would have conversations (laughs) with and Mm -hmm. my parents were always very good about letting me do that and, you know, letting me take their their literature and whatever. and that anytime I asked, like, can I go to Sunday school with this friend or can I go to temple with that friend? My parents were always like, Yep, absolutely. And so I I mean, I had uh some friends who were Jewish and I had some friends who were, you know, various denominations of, of Christian. And I would say that I don't think I came fully to terms with, with mm-hmm. um my own personal acceptance of of religion higher power whatever until into my 30s Mm. so (laughs) it would i think it would not ring true at all for her in one year being introduced and then deciding on something at the end
0: Mm. no and and i i get that too but there is a feeling it all like the stories culminate in this like disastrous family dinner um with Mm the Rachel McAdams parents and the Benny Safdie's parents. Well, her, Benny Safdie's mother uh, in the movie, Kathy Bates and this poor and some Mr. dude
1: she picked up in Florida.
0: This poor Mr. Binnerman uh, rhymes with cinnamon <laughs> who comes with her from Florida. Um, but it's, yeah, it has this sort of like apocalyptic moment where ev- like all of these issues are, are kind of explode. And then movies like, uh, and then she went to summer camp again. <laughs> it's, it feels like... I don't know if there's a mandate to get this around the 100-minute mark or not. There's it, it, something kind of dis, just uns, unsettled about where we kind of leave things. Um, it, but it's that doesn't actually bother me that much. It just, it it feels like we kind of run out of steam Mm -hmm. at the end, which is not an uncommon movie thing, but
1: I I do think with that part of the problem is that she is only like 11 years old. And so while she's working on this project, Mm -hmm. um, she gets frustrated with the whole conversation, yells, I don't even believe in God, or I don't mm. even know if I believe in God, and then writes her project, which is what she's been working on, which is part of why she's been, you know, going to all these things and trying to learn more about religion. And so, for her, when she says, you know, um, it sounds a little fatalistic the way they, they put it in the movie, but I think that there's, mm. I think it could be read in a, in a better way, which is that, you know, all there is is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for her... I think she kind of like, she f- she felt completed in that moment with that, mm. um, but she's only a child, and mm. so she leaves the room, and all of the adults now have to deal with the fallout of, of what happened, and it's mm. not really her story or her concern, and even though, yes, we have been watching the, the parents and the adult characters a little bit, I think that that's a lot for us as the audience to then dive into and there would be no no response to that like i think it's just such a complicated thing Mm -hmm. that i I don't know that there could have been any other yeah resolution though i do hear what you're saying and i have read that from some other people and things that's like oh this this kind of felt like a cheat and i'm like yeah but like i don't know
0: it's there's there's two heads about it and um in in so much as sort of any movie feels like you're building towards something um, and then you you don't build toward, you know, maybe it builds towards the idea that um, you know, this this young woman, despite you know, her anxieties about growing up and not wanting to be the last one of her friends to get a period and to to, uh, trying to figure out what faith she is if she wants faith um, all, you know, carrying around these anxieties and you know, it is kind of, you know, it it makes sense to in 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 that way that the fact that you get to the end credits and she's kind of a happy, well-adjusted kid, um, you know, is is that not enough?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you not entertained?
0: Are you not entertained? Well, I was entertained. That's the thing, yeah. too. Yeah. Um.
1: I mean, but the. I mean. The movie did culminate in something, and it <clears throat> culminated in her her getting her first period, which was really kind of the, um, the the thing, and especially mm. in 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 the seventies and in the eighties, and I'd say even in the nineties. Not so much now, but you know, as a girl, getting her first period was sort of the you're finally a woman. You are a woman now. It wasn't like the beginning. It was never, it was a marker of you've ended this and now you're this mm-hmm. and not like the beginning of a, of uh, you know, four years of hell, um, <laughs> which by the way is what it is. If we have any young girls uh, listening, just put it I off don't... as long as possible. You don't, you don't need it. Like it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs>
0: I don't have the data in front of me so I'm not sure. Um yeah, it it's it's it's, it's, it's very given that. I mean, it does resolve in that one way which is, you know, it, waiting for this thing to happen. And um not I hate to put it that way, but that yeah. is kind of how it ends up.
1: Yeah, but I mean that is like I, I know as a girl having read this book and watched this movie that that is the that is the end point that is right. the climax that that is the achievement mm. um and it shouldn't be i don't believe that it it should be um viewed that way but it mm-hmm. very much was in those days and mm. um i do think it's really smart that they set this as a period piece in 70, 1970, because there certainly are some things like that. The fact that that like, you know, getting your first period is the achievement. Um, That just, it's just not true anymore. And it would be really hard to tell that story Mm -hmm. in, in current times. Um, And I'm not saying that we don't need a story like this for current times, but it's very complicated because things are very different now and mm-hmm. god help us i'm really sorry for girls like laura danker of whom there are so many more who get you know all those milestones so much younger like girls are right. starting to go through these changes at like 9 and it's yeah not good it's not good um it's yeah too young.
0: I- Yeah, it's, I I found her uh, story um, interesting and and the way that kind of resolves and Mm -hmm. that's, I found, there was a lot of meat there. There was a lot of, I I think, story there that might have, uh, could have been explored a bit better. Yeah, Well, and
1: I think, too, because I also had a very close friend who was like Laura, Mm. had, you know, fully developed breasts uh by the time we were 10 um and so every time the second she walked in the room I was like oh this poor girl every time she was on screen all I could feel was just like oh yeah. my god how it is not right to have to go through like everybody would look at a, a, a you know young people would look at a girl like that with jealousy which of course mm. in this case comes out as 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 some meanness because mm-hmm. they want to be that, but mm-hmm. it's like, no, you know, you just, you just don't want to be that. It's really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that part, I think uh, we, we can all kind of identify with And the other, I wanted to mention this too. Um Are, Are you there? God is a remarkable act of musical restraint by Hans Zimmer. When I saw his name come up in the credits as the being the music behind this, uh, I thought, uh, the the piano on fire guy. Um, yeah, I wondered
1: the same thing. I was like, I don't know if I heard any score around the amazing <laughs> soundtrack. I was too busy being <laughs> floored by the sound- soundtrack constantly.
0: There there, there was a, a theme. I did a, I did hear the theme, um, and you know it 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 came in different sort of like compilations and different kind of arrangements and stuff. And I I did note the score. Um, but I would not have guessed Hans Zimmer was the man behind it. Um, but
1: well, uh, and it's not really Hans Zimmer; it's one of one of his acolytes <laughs> who you <laughs> oh, know. Lord.
0: But he uh, has created
1: a, a nice studio for himself, which he calls Hans Zimmer.
0: Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and I, I also want to uh, pat um, Echo Kellum on the back as as Mr. Benedict, the teacher, because uh, he has a really great comedic moment where. The girls are in the auditorium getting the um, the, the sex <laughs> lecture, and uh, as soon as it's introduced, he duck, he ducks out of there so fast. And oh uh,
1: yeah, he does a homer backing into a shrub real well. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that was a that was comedic gold, and uh, everyone in the theater appreciated it. Um, but there is a lot to appreciate. in are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And uh, yeah, take a time, take some time to to see it if if. Uh, you can uh, in a theater, especially uh, we do want to support uh, movies like this and, uh, you know, not just the other movies that we could have reviewed mm-hmm. this week about, yeah, you know, talking <laughs> raccoons and things. Yeah.
1: And you can see, you can watch trailers for a number of other just like dramas that are coming out. I didn't even yeah. know they made these movies anymore.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, we'll have to see if they come up in future episodes, but that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. And if you want to stay connected to us, you can follow us on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download this or previous episodes on the Golf Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where can people find you on the internet?
1: You can find me everywhere on the internet at sin Forty Eight C I N N Forty Eight. Don't come see me on Twitter though, because I'm not using that as much anymore. Find me on on Letterboxed or Mastodon or on Spoutable, which is a new place where um, I I spend a lot of time reading trying to catch up with the canadians who have and that's the canadian users who who have taken over this social media network so join us there at spoutable and
0: i will be back here tomorrow on cfru thursday at 5 p.m for news and politics with scotty hertz in the meantime i am still on twitter i will go down with the ship at Adame donson and that's my address on instagram too And you can also see my news and politics site, guelphapolitico.ca. And you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, cfru.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And we, this show, shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another new episode of End Credits. And we will see you then.